Welcome back to the 195th episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex. Today we're going to be flipping through some of the top stories, including NYC's growing migrant crisis, whether you should rent or buy in this current economy, and an article about Henry Kissinger and how this person was inspired by some of the acts he did in more of a sarcastic way. And, of course, we went today with our daily delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now, that's enough rambling from me. Let's jump into our daily debate. This one, pretty normal question, or at least it's kind of floated around. We kind of uh, walk around or tiptoe around this idea. Is the migrant crisis that is going on in New York, is it self-imposed? They have particular rules that say they have to house certain segments of the population, and now it's coming back to bite them in the butt. There are other regulations. They've also called themselves a sanctuary city. Or is it really just that everything is so overwhelming now and everybody's heading to New York and Mayor Eric Adams just can't keep up with it? Or could it be both? I mean, I'd love to hear what everybody has to say on that one. So throw that down in the comment sections, and let's jump to our first article about the exact same topic. It comes from the New York Post. And if there's any article that's going to be talking about this, of course, it'll be in the New York Post, conservative New York. There you go. They're going to talk on this issue, and they're going to be very passionate about it as well. The headline reads, NYC's migrant crisis is one of its own making, and we cannot have the world. So obviously, you can tell where the author is coming from on this one. You can see their angle. Let's jump into what they're actually talking about, and they kind of describe a little bit of how it is actually a self-inflicted problem. So, quote, New York City's migrant crisis is turning into something out of a Marx Brothers movie, only it's not funny and it has no end in sight. The city is facing a massive hotel and food bill for its newest neighbors. That's in air quotes, by the way. At the same time, tax tax revenue has plummeted. But instead of pulling in the welcome and saying, sorry, no vacancies, we are getting ready to cut the spending on police, library, and other municipal services. And if you are paying attention to, uh, you know, social media and you saw Cardi B's little rant blow up, that's, that's exactly what this was about. What you mean they're cutting all the services in this town? What we got to blame somebody, basically, is what she was saying. I mean, she's not wrong. I mean, there is somebody to blame. That doesn't mean you can just blame anybody. Maybe uh, you should move out of New York City if you don't like it, or you should stop giving your tax dollars to a city that's not actually going to give things back to you. Maybe that's a, a theory, but at least she was saying something about it, and that went viral a little bit ago. That's why this conversation has come back up over and over again. Besides the fact that it's a great talking point for people who are of a more Republican slash conservative leaning. Quote, calling the situation a crisis is a misnomer. A crisis comes from something unexpected, like an illness or a widespread financial collapse. But New York City's problem, accepting hundreds of thousands of migrants from around the world and taking on the responsibility of feeding and housing them indefinitely, is totally self-imposed. It's like lighting your bed on fire and wondering why the house burned down, end quote. So we know that, obviously, the this is a sanctuary city. I highlighted it at the very beginning. And some of the conservative opinions on these sanctuary cities is you brought it on yourself. You're the one that you said you wanted the people to come. Now they're actually taking action about it, sending people there, actually saying, okay, hey, yeah, we were having a whole bunch of people flooding to our borders, but... 
we know one place that you can go, and it is New York. Whether or not you think some of the stunts that were happening a few years ago, or I guess it would have been last year, where they're sending people up on buses or they're sending them up on planes, whether you think that's ethical or not, it is meant to emphasize the idea that you cannot have cities that are sanctuary cities further inland and then say, oh, yes, it's not our problem when you send the migrants to us. Because guess what? The places that are right there on the border don't want the people. And I take that back. It's not even just them. You're talking about Iowa. You're talking about Montana. You're talking about Idaho. They're on the northern border. They probably don't want the Canadian migrants, but they definitely don't want the southern border uh, migrants. And they're not saying, hey, yeah, no, we have some sanctuary cities. They're basically uniformly saying, no, stay out, get away. So when these other cities that claim to be sanctuary cities get mad that the states that are overwhelmed send some of the populace to these other cities that are saying they're willing to take them on, or the people themselves realize, hey, I'm not going to be as welcomed in some of these other states because they obviously don't want me. They don't have the programs. They're not going to try to house me like New York and other cities are going to. So let's go there. It, it, I, would, I would love to say, no, it's not self-imposed but it is self-imposed. It's like a kid going into the candy store and saying, I want the whole bag, mommy. I want the whole bag, mommy. And then they get the bag and, oh, they eat the whole thing. And then they're telling me, they're like, oh, mommy, why does my tummy hurt? Your actions, your policies have a obvious effect. They're going to attract people. And just like that kid that has a tummy ache, you have to deal with the tummy ache that you're going to deal with when you have these certain policies in place. It's just kind of moronic when they start to try to blame other people in other states. Now, let's be clear. I'm not saying that, you know, Greg Abbott and DeSantis and all these other southern states that are sending them up can just, you know, shuffle them, no problem. There's nothing wrong with just sending them there. Of course, they have to have the consent of the people or at least be informed where they're sending them and things of this nature. But at the end of the day, if you're inviting these people there, if your gates are still open, if, like the author says, the welcome mat is still out, what else do you expect? So how does this actually, how does this come about? Uh, it's actually a different decree from previous times that was talking more about homeless populations and now it's being used and stretched to uh, give to migrant populations in New York City. Quote, that original consent decree mushroomed into a multi-billion dollar shelter system that, until a few years ago, cared mostly for local New Yorkers, especially single mothers and their children, who couldn't afford a place to live. The, quote, right to shelter is totally unique in America. Until recently, no other jurisdiction accepted the premise it is the public's responsibility to house and feed anyone who demands it. The possibility of abuse has always existed, of course, but was balanced by the fact that the shelter system was inconvenient and relatively unpleasant. And, well, yeah, if it's unpleasant, if you're used to being in America and having not even the best life, but at least some form of house or your own apartment or some sort of way of living normally within the American system, and then you go down to the poverty line and you're homeless and you're on the street, anything's going to seem better than that. But at the end of the day, you're still going to be like, oh, well, it's not, it's actually not that good compared to what I had. So I'm not going to go through the effort. Well, now we're talking about people that don't have any place to live. This is their first experience in America. And they're like, oh, this is great. This is better than I, I expected, or maybe not better than I expected, but better than I had out there on that street. So 
you can see how it would be very easy for people to take advantage of and very easy for these people who are coming in to be willing to take advantage of it because they're saying, hey, if it gets me off the street, if it helps me you know, get a job or get my feet underneath me for a little bit, if, it hel- if you have kids, oh, it, it helps me get my kids off the street so we can all be protected, things like that. You could see why it would be taken advantage of. Quote, nobody, the thinking went, was going to take advantage of the city's generosity who didn't absolutely need it as a last resort. That was until Joe Biden came to the White House promising to reverse his predecessor's supposedly harsh immigration policies. His day one promise to suspend deportations of illegal immigrants and end the Remain in Mexico rule prompted a rush of migrants parroting bogus claims of well-founded persecution. So, you know, you could say it's not just on New York City. You could also say that it's on Biden's policies. And to be honest, he kept Remain in Mexico... He kept that rule in place. I believe what it was Title 96. Um, I'm sorry if I don't remember the specific title, which was we have the right to refuse you entry or to send you away due to COVID. And he was holding that in place for quite some time. And the thing is, even though he did that, there was still the perception because he's a Democrat, because he made claims like this on the campaign trail, that, oh, well, we're going to be more welcome. Even though he didn't, let's be clear, he wasn't as strict as Trump in some different locations, but he did keep some of the policies in place. But it's purely a perception game at this point because under Trump, with his rhetoric, people are like, oh, no, I don't, I don't want to go to America now. I don't know what's going to happen to me. My friend said he made it across, but I don't know. And now with Joe Biden, it's, oh, well, you know, he seems a little bit more friendly. And my friend told me he got across. I guess I should do it. I guess I should take the gamble. So, yes, it's not necessarily just on Biden because it goes beyond that. His party has a very obvious platform. When you have Democrats elected, at least in the last few elections, Democrats elected, more people come to the border. Republicans elected, less people coming to the border. Now, that trend doesn't always 100% hold true. And, you know, it is a little bit of a mixed bag, especially during the, the Bush era. But, if you look at the last year of Obama and then through Trump and then Biden, you can see a trend starting to form just a little bit. We'll see if it holds true going into the future. But this is exactly why New York is facing this problem, because they said, well, hey, we're going to be helpful not only to our homeless people, we're going to give them shelter, but it's also for anybody who really, really needs it and who asks for it. And also we're going to say we're a sanctuary city where these people can come and we're not going to let ICE deport them. And we're going to understand their plight and give them the exact same benefits we give to our own citizens who are paying taxes in order to support said system. Even if they're homeless and they might not be paying taxes, at some point they probably pay taxes or a New Yorker pays taxes in the hope that someday if they do have you know a bad time, they have a really hard time, they lose a lot of their money, they end up being homeless, and all those taxes they paid in in the past will actually help them get their feet back underneath them and get off of the street if something like that happens. But when you have people that come from outside the system, mooch off of it, and then they could stay. They could become a future tax base. There's no doubt about that. But they could also leave once they have a little bit of a better understanding and they've been fed for a little bit. They've you know, gotten a line on a job, maybe in New Jersey, maybe a bit further north or a bit further south. Then, you know, it really is just taking advantage of the free handouts and running. It's the free rider problem in economics. And even though it's a little bit more nuanced than just saying it's a free rider problem, but to some degree it is. 
And that's going to really bite New York in the butt because as the author also highlighted at the very beginning, they're also losing population. They are losing people, not just any people, the very wealthy people who can afford to move or at least moderately wealthy people who can afford to move. And guess what? New York, the state and New York City's tax bracket is, uh, well, I say New York State's tax bracket is pretty progressive. Uh, the New York City tax bracket, it's a little bit more complicated than just being progressive, but it does tax people that are a little bit wealthier, a little bit more. And, you know, they may not feel it as much because they have more money, but they still are being charged more than the average everyday person who's just working two jobs and trying to get to their apartment at night, take a quick five-hour nap, and then keep on rolling. So they're losing a bit of that tax basis, and now all their resources are being stretched. Instead of fixing the problem by saying, no more, we're going to find a better place for you, we're going to kick you out, they're actually starting to cut funding from other locations, and that's why New Yorkers are pissed about it. And that is why you got such a uh, hot, 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 hot article from this author. But now we're going to go to another article from another New York newspaper, and it's also talking about the current state of a certain hot button issue nowadays, but it is not immigration. It is should you rent or buy? So this is from the New York Times. Rent or buy is the headline. And this is something that has been on my mind personally. Now, let's be clear. I am young. I intend to rent for a little bit longer, especially with interest rates and house values up where they are. But that's something that our generation, the Gen Z or the late millennials are starting to think about more seriously. They're starting to go into serious relationships. They might just want to buy it to have an investment for themselves, even if they're not in a relationship. And you've hit a whole bunch of people who are at this critical stage. And a lot of older millennials have missed out on the opportunity to buy a house too, because they weren't earning enough before due to the recession and things like that. And now that they are earning, well, guess what? Like I said, interest rates up, price ha- prices for the houses are up, and they're being squeezed just like everybody else. So let's go to the first quote from the article that uh, really starts to lay out the premise here. Uh, quote, should you rent or buy your next home? It is a question that millions of people, especially younger adults who don't own a home, wrestle with. It's also a subject that I have written about in the Times for almost 20 years. Today, I want to revisit it. Inspired by the interests of my colleagues on The Daily, which is one of their podcasts at The New York Times, many of whom are millennials trying to figure out what to do in their own lives. Now is a good moment to examine the question because the answer is clearer than usual. This is not the time to buy for most people, Mark Zanetti, the chief economist of Moody's Analytics, told me. Mortgage rates are extra high, and houses prices are extra high, and there's not much to choose from in the market. So look at that. I mean, he lays it out pretty darn easily. You're going to have limited choice, and when you do get a choice, it may not be exactly what you want, and you're going to have to pay a really high interest rate for it, and you're also going to have to pay a really, really high down payment or just have a long, long mortgage, or your principal and interest payments are going to be extremely high. So at the end of the day, you're sitting here like, okay, wait, hold on, hold on. We we answered this question. Alex, why are you, why are you, you keep going on? We know the answer. Don't, don't buy. I want to explore why you shouldn't buy. And there are a few exceptions that they go over. And I don't, I didn't have quotes for all of them, but I'll, I'll list the ones off that I don't have quotes for. But at the end of the day, I want to explain why this is the case. So you can see the signs in the future when there's another situation where you're like, oh, should I rent or should I buy? Oh, well, this sign is here from the last time, but this one's a little bit better. So actually understanding why the 
things are the way they are will actually be more insightful than just saying, yeah, no, don't buy right now. Because you could just take people's words for it, but maybe having a little bit more insight into it will provide a nice, clear picture in the future when you're buying that forever home. So there is a bit of a stigma against renting, and that's one reason a lot of people are hesitant to do it, and that's what the author goes into first at the beginning. I know that some readers will be surprised by this argument. Renting still brings a stigma. People equate it with throwing away money each month rather than investing in their future. The real estate industry promotes the idea because it makes far more money from a house that it sells than a rental. Broker commissions are significantly higher in the U.S. than in any other country, uh, such as uh, Britain, which has a 1.3% uh, rate, Austria, which has a 2.5% rate, Germany, which has a 4.5% rate, and the United States has a 5.5% rate. In today's newsletter, I want to explain why people who are frustrated by the state of the housing market shouldn't feel bad about renting in the long term. Renting now may help you own a home that you want in the future. If the housing market behaved as many other markets do, prices would have fallen over the last several years. Mortgage rates have risen sharply since the COVID pandemic receded as the Federal Reserve has raised interest rates to lower inflation. So you're saying to yourself, wait, okay, yeah, Alex, you talk about supply and demand a lot. And if you're going to go buy a let's say, let's do something semi-expensive. Let's say you're going to buy a new four-wheeler. And this isn't actually the price of a four-wheeler, but I always do simple math for it. And it is $1,000. And you have to say, okay, I want I want a loan. And you go to the banker and it's like, okay, okay, yeah, hey, we can give you a 5% interest loan for that $1,000 that you can pay back in a set amount of time. And you're like, okay, great, there we go. That uh, That makes a lot of sense. Or even better, it's the ATV company that does the financing for you. Well, guess what? You come back five years later and you're saying, hey, hey same deal. I want to buy the, the same model, the new one. Uh, I'm assuming it's still $1,000 and a 5% interest rate. And then the guy at the shop says, um, no, actually, uh, it's still, you know, about $1,000, but the interest rate now is actually uh, 10% or 15%. And then you're going to say, well, okay, but now I'm I'm bas- I'm going to pay basically I should be paying the same amount of money for this product, but the interest rate is higher, which means I'm actually going to pay more in interest over time. So in order for it to really be worth it for me, could you give me like a could you give me the ATV for like $800? Cuz then hey, you're still going to make some extra money off the interest. I'll probably have to pay for an extra year. You'll make that money back, but just having it off the the principal of the loan would be really beneficial. So in order for you to actually look at the product the same way and be able to give it the same consideration, the actual principle of the loan, the lump sum that you're taking out in order to buy something, it needs to be a little bit lower. The amount that you're paying for it has to be discounted. Rather than that $1,000 you paid last time, it's got to be 800 So therefore, you're paying a little bit less interest, that extra $200 on the principal. But also, you know that over time, because the interest rates are higher, you will actually make that back up, and so do the sellers. Well, that's what should happen in the housing market. If the interest rates are really, really high, the sellers are going to have to discount their houses. They're going to have to discount the value of their houses because they know that people aren't going to go out there and buy it at its original price when the interest rates were a whole lot lower. And that would make sense if the supply of houses was not so stuck. 
So there are a few things that have caused this, and I don't necessarily know chicken or egg which one started it, but here's how my theory goes. There have been a limited supply of new houses being built in the private sphere. I'm not talking about the public sphere. I'm talking about the private sphere. So there were supply chain issues. Lumbers were really expensive. I know people who actually were in the uh, industry of building houses, and they said lumber costs and all these other things that we normally have to buy are going up uh, fivefold. It's getting really, really expensive. So that caused a pullback in the market of building new houses. So then... Guess what? At the end of the day, there's not as much new supply and the demand for those houses is roughly the same, if not going up, because we have some young millennials coming out or making their money or we have some older people buying a house for a second investment. So then the prices of houses tend to go up. And then when that happens, it naturally balances out. Ah, yes, we should build new houses because we see the value of houses are going up. Oh, yeah, let's go build some more. Well, like I said, there's that supply chain issue, so they're having a hard time doing that. And then as interest rates start to go up and they start to jack up slowly and slowly and we're still having some supply side issues, people can't necessarily keep up in order to build those new houses to alleviate the demand and interest rates are going up. People who have their houses and they're saying, wow, I got really high value right now. Look at that. I bought it for 500000 10 years ago, but now it's at 800000 I'm not, I should probably sell. And then they look down the street at that one little, one level house that they want to get for their retirement so they can pay it off almost immediately and then have a little bit of money in the bank. But they're going to be paying instead of that close to 5% interest, like I was talking about before, they're now going to be paying 10 to 15% interest. Oh, no, I'm just going to keep my house where it is. I'm not going to sell it. Guess what? If a lot of people have that mentality, it locks in demand. Sorry, it locks in supply. Once again, there's a limited supply because people don't want to have to refinance and get a really high interest rate loan. And then you're saying to yourself, okay, well, then the supply chain issues have kind of eased a little bit over this entire time when people are realizing that they can keep their house prices really high. And then you're going to say, okay, well, this means if the supply chain issues have gotten fixed a little bit, then people are going to come out and they're going to build new houses because they see these really high evaluations. But guess what dissuades them? The high interest rate. Because they know that it's going to be very, very hard to find buyers for those houses. Normally, they could fly like gangbusters because of low interest rates, because people are willing to put down the money for it, because of the, you know, they see all the prices of houses are going up. I should get in while I can. Well, now people are saying, okay, well, the prices are stuck up here really high, and also the interest on it is going to be insane. So these builders are saying there's not going to be a return on investment. There's no guarantee that these are going to get bought up at the rate we would need, because even if there are the people out there that want to buy them, that doesn't necessarily mean that when they go to get everything financed and they see the interest rate that they're willing to do it at that price. Now, some companies have gotten around this and they have started doing their own little private loan schemes so that they can have lower interest rates in order to guarantee that their houses are picked up off the market very quickly. But that's a really risky practice. So right now, all of this leads to the fact that you should rent. And what the author's getting at here is, yes, while it does appear that you are throwing money away every single month, let me ask you this. If you are renting at a place that is $700 a month, And then it goes to the landlord. You don't ever see it again. You get a nice place to live. You get a nice place to be productive. It's adding some value back, but it's not a true investment that you could sell later on. Versus if you are having a mortgage and you're paying $700 a month, 
But that's not because your normal mortgage over 30 years is actually $700. If you kind of discount it, it would probably be somewhere around $500. But because of those higher interest rates, you are actually paying more interest, not off of the principal. You're paying more interest, which is money thrown away if you could imagine the opportunity cost there. Because if you had waited another two years and got in at a locked lower interest rate, then you're actually saving those $200 and you end up paying more off the principal because the interest isn't so high if you continue to spend that $700. I'm sorry if I lost you a little bit there, but basically what he's saying is, are you really losing enough money in your mind renting that you would not be losing if you were buying a house at a really high interest rate? He's saying the opportunity costs don't necessarily weigh out like that. Then again, he could be a person who has like five condos. He's like, yeah, guys, it's a renting economy, sure. But I think he's pretty genuine here. It is not a buyer's market for the housing market right now. It's a seller's market. So just give it a little bit of time if things don't cool down. Then again, I'm young. So I had planned to be in an apartment for probably the next year, if not two, I would like to have a house within the next year, but I didn't really see it happening as I was coming out of college. So I can put up with it. Maybe some people that are a little bit older, if they're listening, they're like, Alex, you're you're so stupid. I need a place for my kid. I need to get away from all these loud neighbors. I need my own space. I, I need a house so that I can actually have a proper investment that's gaining value over time. I, I honestly just want to get out of the city and get into the suburbs. I know there are plenty of reasons and maybe you have to move faster than I do, but for the younger ones among us, Give it another solid year and then give it another look and see where things are at. We may just be screwed and we may just have to bite the bullet and you may buy that house, you know, or at least start paying off the mortgage for the house. And then a year later, the interest rates go down. Guess what? You can refinance. So just play it by ear. It's a renter's market. Keep it in mind. Don't pressure yourself too much to make a silly decision that you're not going to be able to actually afford. All right, let's jump to our last article. It's going to be a very, very quick one, and it comes from Counterpunch. And here's to you, Henry Kissinger reads the byline. Uh, So, sorry, not the byline, the headline. So this author, he was an activist. He was deeply, deeply inspired by Henry Kissinger's uh, worldview, his realist worldview, uh, his absolutely horrendous human rights crimes. He was inspired by him, and he saw himself going out there and doing something consequential because of it. But it's not because he liked what Kissinger was doing. It was because he hated what Kissinger was doing. So uh, I'm going to read you a quick, quick section from it. And I think it's just, I want to point this out because it highlights that while sometimes we don't think about everybody who is in these political offices or who these appointees are, they can have a huge impact on people's lives, not just by the policy decisions they make, but through the social consequences as well. And Kissinger was a very complicated person. Sometimes I liked his policies, and I haven't read all of them. I'm not 100% up to date. I'm trying to get a good book where I can go through most of them, none of his, because I want to read those secondary. I actually want to read something about him first so I can get an outside perspective and then read his stuff. But some of his policies were very realistic, very good, and some of them were obviously inhumane and sad, but maybe they were legitimately in the interest of the United States. There's lots of different arguments on it, but this guy, he just his story was funny to me, and I really wanted to point it out here. Quote, on the occasion of his death, actually, you know what, never mind, we're going to skip to the part where he tells the story. It happened sometime in April 1970 when Kissinger and Nixon said they were going to end the war in Vietnam by expanding it to Cambodia. I was rushing along Prospect Avenue where Princeton's eating clubs or fraternities were located to attend a class that I was attracted to 
when I was attracted to the commotion at a building housing the Institute of Defense Analysis. A crowd of 100 surrounded some 15 who sat down in linked arms and blocked the entrance to the Institute, which was known to be doing contract work for the Pentagon. I crossed, crossed the street to see things and at, more out of curiosity than anything. When a phalanx of policemen arrived and shoved people aside in order to clear a path and to arrest those who were seated on the ground with their arms linked, he proceeded to jump in and get in the middle of the linked arms and defy the police. And this put him down a path of social justice, of advocacy and activist work for the rest of his life. And he goes on to sarcastically thank Henry Kissinger for the path that he created. Kissinger, def Kissinger defined a generation with, you know, detente or the expansion of the war into Cambodia that helped blaze the anti-war movement even further. He's advised on with so many different presidents since his tenure in Washington. He has affected all of our lives in more ways than you can realize, even just shaping how we talk about foreign policy and the discussion around it. So, at the end of the day, whether you like him, whether you don't like him, you have to acknowledge that he was an important part of our history. I'm sorry that he passed, and give a good time, give it a little bit of time. Go read one of his books or a book about him. Uh, I've heard people say, don't read the Isaac, uh, the Walter Isaacson one. Read uh, a different one that's maybe a little bit more criticism from the left or the right. Uh, Walter Isaacson apparently doesn't go much into it. It's just kind of like, oh, the story of the man rather than all of the policies. Uh, that's that's what I've heard. That doesn't necessarily mean it holds true. But take some time and read up about him because it's he'll definitely be worth your time, especially as a citizen of these beautiful United States that's been shaped by some of his policies. So, past all the depressing stuff about Kissinger, let's jump to our daily delight. It comes from Parade Pets. I know, right? A shocker that I'm using another Parade Pets one, but they just have such good animal articles. Uh, polite Parrot gives his girlfriend a kiss after checking up on their eggs and he is a real gentleman. So not only is the parrot a gentleman, but he is also, um, he looks like one as well. Let's put it that way. Quote, there are so many options, and the right bird can just fit so perfectly in your family. One pair of Indian ring necks proved that they might even like to start a family of their own. And the reason I chose that quote is because Indian ring necks, they kind of have as you could probably tell, a ring around their neck. And to me, it kind of looked like a little bow tie or a tie. It's like, oh, yeah, he is he is a nice little gentleman out here. And he definitely looks like one. Uh, while they were working very hard, or while mom is working very hard, dad was uh, making sure that she was getting all the loving that she needed with those adorable kisses. And like I talked about, you can see the photos of their cute little ring neck that kind of looks like a tie. Uh, if you want to see any of the photos or videos from this article or read any of today's articles, there'll be a link in the description below that like and subscribe button. Also down there, you can find the link to the podcast on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcasts, Podvine, as well as the Twitter handle at Your Daily Flip, where I post a Twitter tirade every Tuesday and Thursday. A little bit less formal, less quotes, just kind of off the top of the head kind of thing. Uh, this week were some interesting ones, reading some Ayn Rand, so... Yeah, they were kind of inspired by that and a few other things that I had read over the course of the last month. So with all that said, there is only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.